You are listening to United and Resilient, a podcast designed to help heal and support the El Paso community. I am your host, Oscar Arriaga, Outreach Coordinator for the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center, a program of United Way of El Paso County. We are dedicated to serve those who are impacted directly or indirectly by August 3rd. Join us on the journey to long-term recovery as we have honest conversations with local leaders, mental health specialists, and fellow Pasoans who share their stories and expertise. We feature topics that influence and impact the vitality and resilience of our community. We are El Paso United and together we heal. Juntos sanamos. Dear listener, before we begin, a note of warning. The topic we are about to explore contains a mention of the mass casualty events and a description of the events that unfolded thereafter. This episode may not be suitable for everyone. Please note any views or opinions shared in this program are personal and belong solely to the individual and do not represent the United Way of El Paso County or the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Welcome to United and Resilient, a podcast by the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center designed to inspire emotional healing, growth, and an impact where we come close with El Paso experts providing us great information and advice. I'm your host, Oscar Arriaga. This episode will be dedicated to spiritual resilience. We have to maintain a positive spirit even in the face of adversity. Sometimes it is seeking strength through a higher power, regardless of your affiliation, in order to get through difficult situations. We may need guidance to recover from shock and stress and grow from a disruptive experience. Joining us is Pastor Michael Grady. We will discuss how we can develop our own spiritual resilience and why this is important. Pastor Grady was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. In 1970, he was licensed and ordained to the gospel ministry. He graduated from the United States Army Chaplain School and was assigned to Fort Bliss, Texas. While on active duty, he served as an adjunct instructor for students seeking to gain a degree in Christian education with an advanced degree in New Testament studies. He retired from active military service and continues serving as full-time pastor in New Jersey. He returned to El Paso and was ordained elder in the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church. He has served as the president of the Interdenominational Ministerial Alliance of El Paso and is the religious advisor for the NAACP. In 2015, he established in El Paso the Prince of Peace Christian Fellowship Church. And joining us is Pastor Michael Grady, we will discuss how we can develop our own spiritual resilience and why this is important. Welcome, Pastor Grady. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Oh, we're excited for you to be here. Yes. Before we start, of course, tell us about yourself and your profession. Share with us your academic and professional achievements, and please include your journey to becoming a recognized pastor. Thank you so much. I am uh, ecstatic to be here on uh, this podcast today. and. Uh, I've come a long way. I started preaching in uh, the ministry at, at age 12. Uh, 
I was born in St. Louis, raised in the oldest black settlement in the United States, a place called Lovejoy, Illinois, on the banks of the Mississippi River. I started preaching at age 12 uh, at the First Corinthian Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, I was licensed and ordained in 1970 as a, a Baptist minister, then entered into the military, attended the uh, uh, United States Army Chaplain Center and schooled at that time was at Fort Wadsworth, New York. Uh, it then moved to Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. Of course, I ended up returning to Fort Monmouth, New Jersey in 1990 to serve as the Reserve Chaplain's Advisor, teaching chaplains and chaplain's assistants through the United States Army Chaplain Center and School. While there, I ended up pastoring the a True Vine Missionary Baptist Church in Ashbury Park, New Jersey, while I was on active duty. Uh, I retired from active duty in 1994, June the 30th. I walked out of the gate of Fort Monmouth, continued pastoring. Ended up going to uh, North Carolina, Fayetteville. A friend of mine needed some help there. Uh, and we were on active duty together, so I went to Fayetteville to help him. Ended up pastoring in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, Pilgrim Rest Baptist Church there. Uh, and so I was in Fayetteville in Wilmington, North Carolina from 2000 to 2004. In 2004, I returned to El Paso only to find myself pastoring uh, Phillips Chapel Christian Methodist Episcopal Church, uh, which is the oldest black Methodist church in El Paso, where me and my wife, Genevlin, got married in some 45 years ago, plus two years of courting. And so uh, we've been hanging around for uh, 47 years. We have three beautiful girls, uh, Monique Latrice, Michelle Elise, and Jacqueline Erica Yvette. I have one granddaughter, her name is Maya. She'll be 10 years old in February. And we live here in the city of El Paso. We've been back about 18 years. Came back to rest, ended up getting catapulted back into ministry through Phillips Chapel, getting elected as the president of the Interdenominational Ministry Alliance, where I served almost 11 years in that capacity. And then also I was elected president of the NAACP, the oldest branch in the state of Texas is here in El Paso. And I served there, I guess a little bit over a year. I resigned and continued to pastor when I launched Prince of Peace Christian Fellowship. It was in 2015, so we've been here seven years, going into our eighth year. Of course, uh, you may or may not know my daughter Michelle uh, was uh, wounded four times in the Walmart shooting on August the 3rd. That sort of catapulted me again on a national level to speak about gun violence and the ills of humanity and, and really resiliency because El Paso adopted a slogan, El Paso Strong. And I remember saying to Anderson Cooper when he interviewed me, we'll see whether we're strong or not. I'm writing a book in my head, it's not yet completed, and it's called, It's Not What You're Eating, But It's What's Eating You. And if we could ever get in touch with what's eating us, maybe we can solve the problems and the ills of the world. It's not black, it's not white, it's not Republican or Democrat or independent. Something's wrong inside of us that we've allowed to fester to the extent that we've lost our way. Thank yeah. you, Mr. Grady, that footprint, that history landmark that you're making here. And of course, Michelle, your daughter, yes. will keep her in our prayers. Thank you. And the journey that, that you took from age 12, you mentioned yes. that passion started very early. Yes. You know, one of the things that we, when we were faced with trauma or an impact in our lives, I have heard about building a resilient spirit. What is that personal journey that one must take to do that? 
I believe it starts with really acknowledging that first you are first of all that you are a spiritual being trapped in this flesh dragging this flesh through this mess until the Lord calls us from labor to reward so I think the first uh, is, is acknowledging that we're all culpable and, and we're all responsible for how we live out our lives we make choices Hatred, we're not born with hatred. We're not born divisive or divisive. We learn that behavior by watching others who model it without retribution. We have a long history uh, in this country of covering up the real uh, reality uh, that we're, we're broken, that something's broken inside of us. I, and it was, it was Christ who said, it's not what goes in a man that defiles him, but what comes out. And so oftentimes when we find ourselves struggling with resiliency is because we've uh, failed to use the, the equipment that has been given to us. We've been provided with resources and, and every person has a choice to make whether or not they're going to take the resources and utilize them or lay them to the side and, and try to lean to his own understanding. One so the thing that draws us together is our commonality, our, human, our humanity and our uh, inability to do anything outside of ourselves uh, that is going to have any community benefit in our society. I've noticed people and such as yourself that have this spiritual resilience, it determines our character. Are there building blocks that one must uh, learn day after day or year after year? Does our character get stronger? Our character gets stronger either negatively or positively. We're always developing something. We always want to manifest something. But again, when you talk about resiliency, I have to have a place to start and I have to have some evidence that what I'm going to cling to is going to be beneficial to me. So part of resiliency is a starting point, recognizing when things are not well, when there's turbulence. You know, I'm a Trekkie when there's a disturbance in the force. Mm -hmm. You know, you have been given the, the equipment to recognize it, but how you respond to it is going to be based on your historical data. What has worked for you in the past, whether it's alcohol or drugs or just sitting quietly or going up on top of Mount Franklin and meditating. All of us want to be free from ourselves and we have to find a positive way to make that happen because there are many negative ways that give you a false sense of security only to, to discover that when you need to reach for strength and when you need to reach for courage. In our ministry here at the Prince of Peace, we have four C's, courage, competence, commitment, and consistency. One thing that you mentioned earlier is how this resiliency, since biblical times, it's been there. Can you give us a, an example of how faith plays in that resilience and also any biblical stories that you can share with us? Yeah, I, I often think about the, the story of Job's situation. Okay. There was a conversation between Jehovah and Lucifer. Of course, the scripture says Satan goes before the throne of God. He's an accuser of the brethren. And this day he went before the Lord and the Lord says, where have you been? He said, oh, I've been walking up and down in the earth looking to discredit you. Pretty much that's what he says. And she says, have you considered my servant Job? And said, yes, I've been by his crib. Got a nice crib. Got some beautiful, fine daughters you gave him. Got plenty of land and cattle and all the stuff. And yeah, the Lord says, yeah, but Job loves me. He said, yeah. So Lucifer says, yes, he loves you, but he only loves you because of what he has. In other words, you bought his love. And the Lord said, oh, no, he loves me because he loves me unconditionally. And so Lucifer said, let's put that to the test. 
let me touch his life and I'll make him curse you to your face. I'll make him deny you. So the Lord said, not Job, yes, Job, not Job, yes, Job. It went back and forth and the Lord said, do what you must do, but his life and his soul is in my hands. And so Satan or Lucifer, whatever name people use these days, went to do his work. And as you know, he destroyed everything that he thought was valuable to Job and that allowed him to love his father. And yet Job did not deny his relationship with God. And Job says in this, in this very difficult time in his life, should we only expect good things from God and not evil. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he was faith. Faith is the ability to believe what God says and to cause the manifestation of what he says in your life. It starts individual before it's ever collective. Sometimes at difficult situations, one can lose that yeah. faith. How can one recover that faith, that resiliency, that spiritual resiliency after you lose it? People lose what we call faith because of unrealistic expectations. Very simple example. The book says, the covenant says, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself ransom for it. And wives reverence your husband. Then there's a comma, it says, as in the Lord. Now, if I'm not gonna do my part, it's not fair for me to have an expectation of anything, of any spiritual victory taking place in my marriage. If I'm not gonna study to show myself approved as Paul told Timothy, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, and I put faith in my not studying, I shouldn't expect evidence that I'm gonna be able to rightly divide the word of truth. So faith, people who say they've lost faith, they've really lost belief. In the book of James said, well, demons believe also and tremble. So belief doesn't impress God. The only thing that impresses Jehovah is faith. Faith is the ability to believe what I said. And, and when you believe what I said, there is a manifestation. And oftentimes we put unrealistic expectation on ourselves. You are listening to United and Resilient. We'll be right back with our guest, Pastor Michael Grady. Now, we shift to our intermission segment of Where Were You on August 3rd with our guest, Desiree Castillo. She is the resource specialist with the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center and shares her personal story of the August 3rd, 2019 tragedy. Hello, my name is Desiree Castillo and this is my August 3rd story. When August 3rd took place, I was actually at the Fountains of Farrah. My boyfriend at the time had gotten me a spa day type of gift. I remember thinking before going into the room, I'm just gonna put my phone on vibrate. Everybody knows what I'm doing, so nobody's gonna call me. My phone was just going off. It's probably my dad. He's probably just blowing up my phone because he found a funny joke and he loves to just get the reaction. He just gets so anxious to get the reaction. And then my phone just kept vibrating and it kept vibrating. And I got my phone and I had all these text messages. All my family has my location. So they all saw that I was at the fountains and where are you? Are you okay? Answer your phone now. I remember looking at my phone like I can't even respond to somebody because the text messages are just flowing in. So finally, uh, my boyfriend at the time, he called and I answered, and he's yelling at me. Why aren't you answering your phone? 
I'm worried about you. And I was like, what do you mean? Oh my God. And my dad called. And he was so scared and he was like, where are you, Desiree? My cousin was willing to leave work to come get me and she was like, I will leave work right now. And I, I felt paralyzed. And I kept thinking my daughter. And I just remember thinking like, this is not happening to me. Like, this isn't happening. This doesn't happen here. And finally, they were like, okay, we're going to start letting people out. And we're going to escort you to your car. And they did. And I got in my car and I couldn't move. I called my dad and I was like, I, I can't even start the car, dad. I'm so scared. I can't move. My dad was like, it's going to be okay. I need you to turn the car on. And I was like, dad, I'm scared. I'm scared. I need you to come pick me up. And he was like, I'm on my way. Meet me at a store and I'm going to come get you. And I, I didn't want to hang up the phone with my dad. Don't, don't get off the phone. Please don't get off the phone. I'm so scared. And finally we met at a store. I don't even remember what store. I just remember when I saw his uh, his green Sequoia. I couldn't get out of the car fast enough. I barely turned it off. I didn't even lock the door. I didn't get my bag. I just jumped in his car and he took me home. And, and I remember my daughter was still with her grandma and I didn't want her to leave the house because I didn't know what was going on. And I just sat there with my dad like a little girl and we just watched the news. Then I remember feeling so scared and I was just so thankful to be with my dad. <laughs> Once my family found out that I was at the fountains, they all came to my dad's house and they just comforted me and we cried and we all told each other how much we loved each other and, and we were just in shock. We were in so much shock. You know, what is really unfortunate is that something as tragic as this had to happen so the world and the nation can see how strong we really are and how much we really care about our people and our families and the love and support that our community gives. We're so strong and we care so much about our community that we created the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center. So if I can give a message to the community, it would be that the seeds of resilience are planted in the way we process the negative events in our lives. Taking that first step to get the help if we need it, and there is no shame in saying, I was affected. We now return to our united and resilient guest, Pastor Michael Grady. Is there some type of a spiritual resilience in order to obtain that sense of comfort? For example, do people need meditation, fasting, or even music? Do they need that in order to obtain that discipline? I think those are the things that we do to maintain. If the first thing doesn't work, which we call prayer, if I misunderstand prayer, I'm probably not gonna go to anything else. If my expectation of God is that in, in our in our tradition, African American tradition, we sing a song like call him up and tell him what you want. Well, if I can do that, and, and so I've made him Santa Claus, and I call him up and I need a job, but I haven't put in the application, I don't have the training or the experience and nothing happens, I'm not gonna go too much further. Then I'll go to the other God and say, well, how can I get from you? 
with the Illuminati and all these other fake promises that the world gives. So the reason that many people never acquiesce towards spiritual maturity is because they stop short. They stop at religion's door, not relationship's door, and religion's door can only take them so far. So once the mass is over, or once the worship experience is over, uh, Jesus was on the top of Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration, and, and he took two of his disciples up there, and, and he was glorified before them. But when he came down the hill, the fellows had, uh, and down at the bottom of the hill, they brought a lunatic to him, one possessed with a demon. They said, look, while you was up there singing hallelujah anyhow, we brought this guy, and your disciples could not help him. Well, Jesus sighed. <sighs> Then he says, bring the boy to me. He casts out the demon. Then he turns to the disciples, how long do I have to be with you? Why could you not cast him out? This kind comes out, but by prayer and fasting. So part of the reason that people are weary in this season, over a million people, maybe a million and a half died during COVID. And we blame God because we believe that we're supposed to call him up and tell him what we want. There are some good people who love the Lord who died of COVID. They fasted, they prayed, they anointed them with all, they spoke in unknown tongues, and they still died. Why did they die? They died because it is appointed unto man once to die after the judgment. They were asking God to, to do something about COVID and God didn't create COVID. Men did that. And since God does not manipulate men, we lost confidence in God. There is a way, but you now have to choose to come back to me. It's like the prodigal son. If he had not smelled the, the, the food, the mess that was in the pen of the swine, he probably would not have come to himself. The stronger the faith, the, the more we can overcome. Yes. And there are times that the soul is tested, just, just like you said yeah. earlier. And that's those are times that we have to readjust our plans for the future and, and find that courage and the flexibility to improvise our days. How quickly can the people become resilient during those difficult times? They have to first recognize that they're at a deficit. Okay. You can't miss nothing you never had. The woman who had the issue of blood heard something out of the window that there was a man in town that was healing the sick. And she had to make a decision. I can stay here and bleed to death or I can get up one more time because I don't have no money. I spent all of my money. But I'm going to get up and I'm going to go into the town and I'm going to find this rabbi. And at the end of the tassels of the rabbi was the paraclete, the tassels which represented the word of God. She says, if I, I believe, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. Remember the parable of the five wise and the five foolish? This is the question you must ask concerning that parable. How could the five fools hang around the five wise and never become wise? And how could the five wise hang around the fools and never become fools? At the end of the day, it's choice. So a, a person may not even know they're in trouble because we relegated spiritual trouble to physical trouble. So just because I lose my job or just because my wife and I get a divorce or just because my children are incorrigible, we lose faith instead of saying, no, I'm under attack. Now, what does the Bible say for believers or for Christians when they're under attack? It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, we would rather let the devil have his way and get us another wife <laughs> or go find some other children or find another job. We have not a grown to the level of maturity where we press our way through and we leave our comfort zone and say something's wrong. I, I just was counseling an individual right where you're sitting just the other day. And I said, you need to go home. There's a strong man in your house. 
And he's not trying to possess you. He's not trying to kill you. He's trying to discredit your faith and what you believe about faith. But you must be a participant in the healing process. I had quadruple bypass in 2011. They all tried to kill me. They cut my chest open for 17 hours. And here I am today. Healthy. Healthy. Why, why did he spare me and a million and a half people still here? He didn't spare me because I'm good or that I'm better or whatever, but because my faith says that if God be for me, who can be against me? I believe that. And, and I prayed that the Lord would give me some physicians that knew what they were doing. <laughs> and then I want to drive this, this point home. You can't miss something you've never had. If you've never been in real love, you don't know what love is. You know what you know what physical love is, phileo, but you know what you don't understand agape. You don't understand an unconditional love. You don't understand forgiveness. All you've had is your religion. And your religion, again, was simply designed to expose you at a deficit, but it was up to you to do something about the deficit. So we're still wandering, we're trying to find our faith and our resiliency. Most people have never experienced that kind of common unity. I grew up in a town, in a city, where I knew whose house I could run up to into if someone was after me. I knew who my boys were and I knew my boys weren't. We've lost that sense of community and therefore, in order to become resilient, I have to have once been resilient. So we're still becoming. Where there are others who've I've been there before, I've been there, I've done that, and the Lord has delivered me out of all of my troubles. Can you tell us where can people go to build that spiritual resiliency? Do they need a role model in mind to draw that strength? Or where can they find that social support that they can help them bounce back from a disappointment? But one of the places they can go is the Prince of Peace Christian Fellowship, where worshipers gather and faith and works collide. <laughs> so you can come to 9915 Montwood Drive at 1115-79925, and you can find a group of people who are being developed, being modeled and molded into to reflect resiliency. They are the church that gathers on a Sunday morning. And Sunday morning is not about petitioning God, for Sunday morning is about celebrating what he's already done. For the scripture says, when you pray, talking to the church, he says, go into your closet, shut the door behind you, pray to your father in secret, and your father who hears you in secret rewards you openly. We're stronger when we tear down walls and we build bridges. Bishop Mark Sykes and I, every year in the middle of the Rio Grande, we do hugs, not walls. And we invite our brothers and sisters from across the border to come over and hug their family for maybe three minutes. Mm -hmm. Every year we do that. He, he prays in Spanish, I pray in English, and he and I are brothers. And your people say, well, isn't he Catholic? I say, yes, but the word Catholic means universal. Aren't you universal? <laughs> He's my brother. He's your brother. How can he be your brother? Because we're connected to the same king. But according to everything that we know and everything that we believe, Jesus was not a successful pastor. Because when he was dying, there was only one of his disciples at the foot of the cross, John and Mary and Martha. Where were the other ten? Well, they were hiding out in Jerusalem, getting ready to go back to business as usual. And so he had to appear to them through the walls in order for them to gain their resiliency, their courage, their confidence, their commitment, and their consistency. Now God is a spirit. So I still believe that he appears through the walls, but we're so distracted. We've lost so much spiritual ground. And I talked to a lady today whose daughter is uh, going through a tremendous challenge. I said, come over next Sunday to Prince of Peace. I said, we, we, we're gonna love on you. We're gonna pray with you. We're gonna stand with you. 
And again, we're going to help you to walk through the valley. We're all walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But he says, fear no evil. So it is about community. It is about consistency. We just launched a church in Kenya. We launched a church in Pakistan. I'm doing Bible studies all over the country. I'm getting ready to do a global initiative that's going to eradicate homelessness in this country. Little old me. I'm little old Lovejoy, Illinois. So I say, if God can use me, he can use you. You must be available. You must know his voice. And you must be able to courageously follow my resiliency you know, after August the 3rd it was tough it's tough I had to see what I saw even with my own child and yet today I can say that God is glorified in her witness can you share a, a small message of, of hope to our community since yeah. August the 3rd peace in the city of El Paso was disturbed we have been voted the safest city of its size for 10 years running before August the 3rd. Um, and so when that came on that day and, and came and I was at home, and my wife was at, at the dealers and the phone rang and, uh, and we had to run to rescue our child. Thank you for being here and for sharing your time and your thoughts on to build our faith, to build our resiliency, not only our mental and health resiliency, but our spiritual yeah. resiliency. Thank you, Pastor Grady. Well, you're welcome. And thank you for allowing me to come and share. And again, it takes all of us to make a community. And what our community is, we're all culpable and responsible. But we're still here that we might gather the harvest of those who are asking the kind of questions that you asked today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. As we learned, resilience demonstrates how well we adapt to difficult life challenges, such as illness, a trauma, relationship problems, of workplace issues or difficult financial situations. Those who have a deep spirituality or are in the process of developing one can show such resilience. Commit to your lives and your goals. Have a compelling reason to get out of bed every morning. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at El Paso United FRC, where you can learn more about our commitment to the community's long-term recovery. I'm signing off and I will see you soon.